The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to the show. Tonight, we're going to be, or today, we're going to be talking about a really important topic, building trust in times of chaos. And I think we can all agree that we are certainly living in some interesting times of chaos for a whole host of reasons. Between presidential elections and immigration issues and corporate crises and financial crises, it feels like these are chaotic times. And in that context, I believe, as do many others, that trust has never been more important. Now, if you think about it from a business point of view, the focus on quarterly returns and profits and growth have in part eroded the trust that we have placed in much of our senior leaders. And in most of my clients, when we look at an engagement surveys these days, what we're finding is that people are saying, I don't trust the top leadership. And that's exactly the problem. And then you add to that, you know, all sorts of events like a hot air balloon explosion or an airplane crashing into a mountain or various security breaches. And we're starting to see what is it that is we're really going to do to repair this level of trust in our leaders. So in this climate, what can you do as an individual leader in a large or a small organization to build client trust, excuse me, and what are the habits that make trust a factor rather than a wish list? And how do you begin to change those behaviors? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So with me today is John Blakey. John is a CEO, an elite sports coach, a speaker, an author, and a board chair. He's been named as one of the global top thought leaders on organizational trust and through Trust Across America Awards in 2016. A lot of that is credibility is based on prize-winning research on trust um, and his book, The Trusted Executive, and then his experience working with leaders around the world. So, John, welcome to the show. Yeah, good evening, Wanda. It's uh, great to be here. I'm joining you all the way from uh, from the UK, so delighted to get into this conversation about trust. So am I. I it feels like there's never been a more important topic than what we're going to talk about right now. So I, I want to start not why does it matter, but what is it that individual leaders need to do to build trust? And sometimes even when the CEO isn't necessarily doing what you think should be done, what is it that I need to be doing as a leader to make sure people around me are trusting? Well, the thing about trust is that it's a big, huge topic and uh, there's nothing we can do to affect some of the big trust issues 
in the world. But what we can do is focus on our trustworthiness. Uh, that's our part of the dance. And even if we're not the CEO, uh, even if we're not in the top team, our circle of influence is that circle of trustworthiness that we create around us. And that's what can create a ripple of trust out from ourselves. And it's it's those ripples that add up to a shift in an organizational culture if if individual leaders are are focusing on their trustworthiness. Well, I certainly believe that when I look inside organizations and I find individuals that are thriving, one of the things that they'll say is they fundamentally trust their manager or manager's manager, and it creates kind of an enclave around the individual, maybe in the 200, 300 kind of space of numbers of people where you feel like it's a relatively safe, secure, productive, engaging environment. Yeah, I think enclave is a great word, you know, to think about how can you create an enclave of trust? How can you create a bubble of trust around you and in your team? Uh, and, and as always, uh, we can probably do more than we think, uh, particularly if we role model uh, the behaviors that inspire trust. And, and, and the empowering message there is that, you know, we can focus on our own behavior, our own habits. Uh, and through that, we can build our trustworthiness and that inspires others to also do the same. Okay, so I know you talk about three things that are absolutely totally critical for creating that bubble. Tell us what those are and why the, what those look like. Yeah, there, there has been a, a huge debate uh, over the last 30 years about, you know, what is trust? What inspires trust? Uh, and the good news is that there is an answer to that debate that is scientifically researched and, and proven. And there are three pillars of uh, trustworthiness. Uh, the first pillar is ability. You know, are you competent to do the task that we expect you to do? The second pillar is integrity. Do you walk the talk? Uh, do you have sound pro professional values and ethics? Uh, and, and are you uh, role modeling those consistently on a day-to-day -day basis? And finally, the third pillar, and what I think is the most intriguing pillar, uh, the pillar of benevolence. Uh, and the word benevolence, very interesting word, but really at its base, it means wishing well for others. Uh, you know, do you wish well for others? Do you indulge in common day-to-day -day acts of human kindness, care, and compassion? And if you do that, and if you have integrity and you have ability, then those are the three pillars that inspire trust. Okay, so let's start with the pillar of ability, and especially in the context of my radio show and my belief that there's one level of ability that says, I know everything that my team knows. I know how to do every job that is under me. I may not be doing it, but I could do it. That's one level of ability. But we don't always have that ability when we're leading. Sometimes we don't know the details the way our team does and should know the details. So how do you make that distinction around ability? Yeah, by ability, uh, I don't think we mean expertise. So ability as a leader is not about being the most expert person in the room or necessarily being the smartest person in the room. Ability as a leader is is, is measured in terms of your ability to lead. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at those leadership uh, competencies, um, your ability to deliver results, your ability to help others and coach others to de deliver results, your, your ability to do that on a consistent basis. So we're looking at leadership competencies there, not technical expertise. 
Okay. All right. So let's go to the second pillar, integrity. And you say walk the talk and a value, a set of values and ethics. Now, every time I work with a group of people and I ask them to describe their most admired leaders, integrity is one of the top things that comes up. But then I say to people, how do I know that somebody is behaving with integrity? And they always say, walk the talk. And then I say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean you're doing on a day-to-day basis to have integrity and walk the talk? Well, one of the one of the quotes I like around integrity is a quote by uh, by Gandhi, and it's uh, I, I might I might not get this exactly right, but it's something to do happy. It's something to do with happiness is when your words, uh, thoughts, and actions uh, are are consistent and aligned. Uh, and I think that gives us a clue about this walk in the talk phrase and, and integrity. That um, you know your your thoughts, your words, your actions are they aligned? Uh, in terms of the consistency between those three aspects of your being, and are they uh, consistently demonstrated Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Um, so I think that consistency and that alignment is key to integrity, and and we seem to have a sixth sense uh, to pick up when there is a lack of that alignment, and certainly we notice it if there is one false move. If you do something different on a Thursday to everything you did. Uh, on on the other days of the week, um, then we will notice that as followers, and we will uh, we will very quickly withdraw our trust into your integrity if we notice those discretions, uh, however momentary they might be. Okay, uh, uh, so agree with you on that one. That makes a ton of sense. That there's a consistency, and I can therefore count on you to be predictable and to say what you mean and mean what you say. Okay, now at the same time. Things change in an organization, often in predict unpredictable ways. So I'll give you a very recent, very real case. An individual takes a job with an expectation that there is a layer between that person and the immediate manager that will eventually be filled from a process. Yep. Somewhere along the line, someone decides that the process isn't going to be exactly followed quite as consistently as might have been expected for a host of reasons, some of them quite legitimate, actually, to tell you the truth. And suddenly, lo and behold, there's a person put into a role, and it comes as an immediate surprise to the individual. Now, the tendency is to say that lacks consistency and lacks integrity, but I would also argue the rules of the game changed, like the 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 needs of the organization changed. What's your response there? Well, I think uh, I think the key thing there for the people involved is 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 awareness that as they navigate through those changing circumstances, perceptions of trustworthiness will will come into play. Um, so if there is awareness that consistency and integrity is part of the formula of trust, then when the goalposts move, which which they do in organizational life, um, leaders who, who are aware of this will, will focus then on communication in terms of being totally transparent uh, and open about you know, what the original perspective was, uh, what the circumstances that has changed, and why that now means that something different is happening. So, so the transparency to, to be open and to also show some vulnerability. So often, often one of the reasons leaders aren't open is because they feel that if they change their minds, then it will be seen as a sign of weakness. Uh, well, we want to see weakness. We want to see vulnerability because, because that's real. 
Um, so I think communication and being transparent um, is one of the ways that we protect ourselves from damage to our integrity amidst a very dynamic uh, business landscape. Yeah, certainly see plenty of those examples in um, of the lack of communication or ineffective communication. I would say it's not so much that people weren't being open; it just wasn't necessarily believed as it was said. When you look at the various crises that happened, like the um, Luxor hot air balloon explosion, or any number of recent events. Okay, so that's it. So we've done ability. This is ability to lead. We've done integrity, the walk, the talk, the ethics, the consistency, and being aligned with words, thoughts, and actions. Let's do the last pillar, which is benevolence. This is an unusual one. Yeah, I think it is. I think in my corporate career, um, you know, which has spanned 30 years in many different organizations, uh, I've never been trained as a leader in kindness or in care or in compassion. Um, these were things that maybe we assumed that people were bringing to the job just because they were human beings. But we have to, I think, face up to the fact that our, our corporate cultures have, uh, have not necessarily focused on this and, and have taken it for granted. But the research shows that um, you can be as able, uh, you can be a fantastically able leader. You can have, uh, you know, the absolute integrity. But if you're cruel or negligent to your stakeholders, uh, then that will actually uh, destroy your trust and destroy your trustworthiness. So I think benevolence has been the pillar that we've conveniently ignored in business life. And we've taken it for granted. But our stakeholders are now uh, giving us very clear feedback, I think, that, that actually they need to see this uh, from us because uh, they, they are actually feeling that we don't care about them anymore. And, and it's a I think a very uh, urgent imperative for, for business leaders to show that they care. And that isn't the same as saying it's about employee engagement or it's about customer service levels. Uh, this, isn't, um, this isn't a corporate KPI. This is a day-to-day -day, uh, simple and often small act of care, compassion and kindness that is shown to stakeholders, whether those be staff, suppliers, customers, shareholders. Um, this is the... Um, what I call the purple dye of, of trust, you know, all it takes is one drop and you change the whole complexion of a situation and a culture. But it's a purple dye that we, we have really forgotten about, I think, in corporate life. It's an interesting one. Um, I'm going to do a slightly different turn on this one. But when I talk with women, it's true for other minorities, but I'm going to focus on women for the moment. And they get so frustrated with the corporate culture and not wanting to be there and not believing that they're valued and respected and so on. One of the issues often that drives this has to do with uh, parenting care and time with families and can I have a career and have a family as well. And I often ask women, so what is it you want your manager to do? And the answer is, I just want them to understand the stress I feel. And I think that translates into just show a bit of care for me in what mm. I'm trying to juggle. Mm. That's it. It's not yep. really huge flex time policy or anything, just some respect. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it, you know, the two phrases that I use in, in my book around uh, this, this pillar of benevolence. One is random acts of kindness and the other is tiny noticeable things. Neither of those phrases are of my invention, um, but I think they sum up very uh, very neatly what this pillar is about. It's about random acts of kindness and tiny noticeable things. 
Because anything grander than that, we don't trust. We don't think it's sincere. We think you're just trying to impress us or you're just performing for some wider gallery. Um, but if you just show me um, a very tiny and yet significant act of kindness, then I will feel that. And it's the feeling of that that will uh, inspire me to, to trust you. Um, and I think this is what we've lost. We've lost the feeling of, of trust. And, uh, you know, we have lived in a very macho, uh, heroic, uh, masculine uh, world of leadership uh, in which benevolence didn't really have a, 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 a part to play. But I think in this global, diverse world, um, you know, we're all now showing up as human beings. And, and, and as human beings, we need this benevolence. Uh, we need it in order to, uh, to create the, the level of trust that, that the modern okay. stakeholder requires. Okay. All right. So I want to come back to your three pillars, the ability, integrity, benevolence, uh, and benevolence, and talk about three things that I think are really important and ask how you fit those in. So one of them you've already alluded to, this notion of vulnerability, because I find if a, a leader can't be, can't show some degree of vulnerability, meaning some humanness, some not frailty so much as willingness to admit ex mistakes, um, some I'm not perfect qualities, we tend not to trust them. So do yep. you capture all of that in your concept of integrity? Yes. I mean, under each of these pillars, uh, I've, uh, through, through the research, I've, I've discerned three habits. And one of the habits under the pillar of integrity is choosing to be open. And, and openness is more than honesty. Uh, openness is, is this willingness to be vulnerable. The reason why that's part of integrity is because we know as authentic human beings that we all have faults, we all have weaknesses. Now, in the past, we, we believed in this myth of the, of the heroic leader who was all-powerful, all-knowing, and invulnerable. Um, but too many of us now have seen the reality of that uh, too often, that we know it's a myth. Uh, we're not going to buy into that anymore. What we are wanting now is real leaders, leaders who are flawed like us. And because they show that flaw like us, um, we then tend to, uh, to trust them more because uh, we don't believe in the myth anymore of the superhero leader. Okay. All right. Fabulous. Now let me turn to a second one. One that I find absolutely fascinating is this notion of commonality. Um, some would call it affinity. That the more I see myself and you, or the more I have in common with you, or the more I can connect with you around our common interest, the greater my interest or my ability to trust you, my willingness to be open to trust you. What do you think of that concept? Does it apply here and how do you fit it in? Yeah, I think this is a more complex one, commonality, um, because, you know, you have, on the one hand, you have commonality. On the other hand, you have diversity. I mean, we, we, are, we are learning to live in a world where we're, where, where we're sort of um, uh, mixing with, with people with very different uh, qualities and, uh, and, and uh, attitudes and skills. And we're learning to respect uh, the, the diversity of that talent. So I don't think that that uh, trusting people uh, that you that you only trust people who are very similar to you um i'm not sure that that's the case but maybe where we do want to see some commonalities in is in the field of of the values that you that you have um so we we could probably say that you know in terms of our skills and our behaviors there's a lot of difference but when we get down to the level of 
of the values that we share uh, and the values that hold an organization together, then that's probably the, the level at which commonality uh, is important in terms of trust. Um, that, uh, we, you know, there are certain common values and without those, it, it would be hard to see how the, what the glue would be that would, would, that would right. hold us together. Yeah. I do think it's a principle of human beings that we tend to gravitate. It's easier to talk to and interact with somebody who's similar to us. And you're right, in a world of diversity and inclusion and all very, very good things desperately needed for organizations, something I care a lot about, we also have to learn to respect the differences in behaviors. Um, but at the same time, I think there's that human connection that we make with other people and that recognition that in spite of our differences in behaviors underneath it, we're all quite similar. Mm. So maybe that's yeah. it's as part of benevolence. Maybe that's part of integrity. Let me turn to a third one, though, before we take a break, which is this whole notion of likability. You know, a couple of my clients will say quite honestly that as you rise in the organization, it's not that you have to be loved because that's foolhardy, but that the more people that like you, and it's more than respect, they like you. They're good being around you. You're good company. You have good relationships with people. The easier your career is going to be. So what do you think about likability and trust? Do they have any common ground? I think likability is probably a byproduct uh, of a welcome byproduct of of trust. Uh, I I'm not sure that it's something that as a leader um, I would be encouraging people to aim for. Uh, you know, in other words, my goal is likability. I don't, I'm not sure I would be um, encouraging leaders to aim for likability. But if you aim for trust, the chances are that you will, by default, uh, also assume likability. Because if you look at the things that you have to do to be trusted. You look at these some of these habits that uh, I've mentioned. You know, so one of the habits is you know listening to others. One of the habits is being open. One of the habits is being kind. Well, if you're in the presence of someone who is listening to you, is being open with you, and is being kind to you, I think it would be quite hard not to like that person. So I think likability comes with the territory of trust, but I think it's a sort of a welcome byproduct rather than the the, the goal and the focus that I would be wanting leaders to uh, to to hold up as the uh, the aspiration. Fabulous. Fabulous. I love that. That's a great way of framing it. Okay, we're going to take a break. With me today is John Blakey. Um, John is one of the global top thought leaders on organizational trust. He's some prize-winning research and the author of a book called The Trusted Executive. We've been talking about what John believes the research shows that as individuals lead us to be trustworthy or trusted and create a bubble of trust around us in spite of what else might be going on. And that there are three core pillars, the ability to lead, to deliver results, to coach and so forth, integrity, meaning walking the talk, consistency in action, thoughts and words, and benevolence, wishing well for others that kind of small acts of kindness and tiny noticeable things, not grand things. And that out of that, we get some really wonderful qualities like likability that comes from trust. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the nine habits that create these three pillars. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is John Blakey. John is one of the global top thought leaders in organizational trust, um, the author of some prize-winning research on trust and a book called The Trusted Executive. We've been talking about John's research and others' research as well, and the notion that that leads to three core pillars as a leader that I need to be focused on in order to create trust around me, in spite of what else might be going on in the global context or in the organizational context, I can create a bubble of trust around me. Those three pillars are the ability to lead, integrity, doing what I say I'm going to do, and benevolence, showing that I care, small acts of kindness. All right, so John, you say that there are nine habits that underpin these three abilities. Tell us what they are. Yes, so I, as part of my research, I interviewed 30 chief executives and and managing directors, and I talked to them about these three pillars, because these three pillars have been out there uh, in academic sort of work on trust for for some time. But what I wanted to do was to get down to the real behavioral habits that that underpin those pillars. And through analyzing those interviews, um, what I've discerned, uh, there are three habits under each pillar. So under the pillar of ability, we have the habits of uh, delivering, of coaching, and of being consistent. Uh, under the habit, under the pillar of integrity, we have the habits of being honest, being open, and being humble. And finally, under the pillar of benevolence, we have the habits of evangelizing, being brave, and being kind. So those are the nine habits that underpin those, underpin those three pillars. And uh, as we get into looking at habits, we really get into 
uh, you know, day-to-day behaviors. That's that's what I like. I work as an executive coach. You know, I'm interested in how people change. And we have to make these theoretical models very practical if we're going to help people change. And I think focusing on habits is a good tool for facilitating change. Okay. I don't know which one of these that you want to start with. I'm kind of intrigued by this whole notion of integrity. So you say that it's be honest, be open, and be humble. And we were just talking about vulnerability. So the humble and the vulnerability really come to bear there. But the be honest, boy, that seems like that gets tested on a regular basis. Cause so can you give me some examples of what this looks like in day-to-day practice? Yeah, being honest. I mean, honesty. Um, I mean, we all probably say, "Yeah, I know, I know what honesty is," and and I'm an honest person. Um, but the bar on honesty is being raised all the time in our in our corporate world. And uh, what I notice about honesty is that um, uh, this phrase. Um, the aggregation of marginal decays. So uh, what I mean by that, the aggregation of marginal decays, is it's it, it's it's small uh, um, breaches of honesty that, that gradually um, weaken uh, a culture. Um, uh, you know, often I say that, you know, honesty is like a, uh, is like an ivy, you know, it creeps up, dishonesty is like an ivy, it creeps up on you. Uh, and, and gradually, you know, word by word, day by day, um, people cross the line and then you know you have something like what happened at Volkswagen uh, you know where all of a sudden an organization has to confess to to you know fit in emissions cheating software to 16 million vehicles and and everybody looks at it and says well how did that happen you know how on earth did that happen well it happened just by these marginal acts uh, aggregation of marginal uh, decay in honesty. So we have to be very, very ruthless with honesty. We have to be very brutal um, because if we start slipping, then that uh, can accumulate uh, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, dramatic things happen and we all look up and say, well, how, how, how did we get here? Okay. So what's your advice? I mean, so I like that from a concept that we have to be ruthless and brutal and we have to constantly work for this Mm. kind of tiny, small creeps and dishonesty where it seems like it was a good, worthwhile white lie, but they tend to accumulate and one leads to another leads to another. So what's your advice for an executive who's living with some decisions that not necessarily love or agree with, but I'm living with them any rate. How, how do I stay honest in that context? Well, one of, one of the uh, uh, CEOs that I interviewed um, and I was talking to them about honesty um, and he said to me, uh, every town needs a sheriff. And I said, well, what do you mean every town needs a sheriff? And he said, well, everybody, every leader needs somebody around them that asks them those difficult questions and holds them to account and gives them you know, that challenging feedback. So I think every leader needs to think about who is the sheriff in my team? Who is the person that comes up, you know, after a meeting and says to me, you know, John, uh, when you said that, um, that wasn't strictly true, was it? And I can sort of understand why you did it, but it wasn't strictly honest. Um, so it's very easy as a leader to surround yourself with people who don't challenge you and 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 who uh feel that their job is to fit in uh, and to align themselves with everything you say. So the, the best advice I can give people working on that habit is, um, who is your sheriff? Um, and do you, do you praise that person for being your sheriff? Do you, 
do you cherish that role? Um, and if you haven't got one, uh, how could you get a sheriff into your team or into your sort of network so that you can be held to account around uh, the, 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 the sort of ruthless honesty we're talking about? Okay. All right. I want to do one more in this set, and then I'm going to move to the benevolent one, because I think that's the one that's the most unusual. But let's talk about this notion of being open. All right. Now, some people come in the world quite willing to be open, and some people come into the world, no, I don't want to be, I want to reserve that openness for a very small select people. I'm a little more private. I'm a little more cautious about what I show. What's your advice to people on how to be more open? Well, being open, you're right that, you know, uh, I mean, I was brought up, you know, in a, in a culture where we were quite private and uh, quite reserved and, um, you know, we were taught to sort of uh, not wash our dirty linen in, in public. You know, that would be one of the, f- the phrases that, you know, I heard as a as a kid. Um, and, and in this old model of leadership, yeah, you, you tended to hide those things. So, so yes, it can be counter to our training and our, and our upbringing to be to be open. Um, but I think like everything else, you know, like with habits, uh, a lot of this is about practice. And, um, you know, one of the one of the um, pieces of advice around being open that I've seen work with with leaders uh, when I've coached them is to practice being open. Uh, and, you know, when we practice these things and it feels like a risk. Um, so practice firstly in safer environments, you know, practice being more open with your family or practice being more open with your best friend. Um, and then as you practice and you realize that it's not the end of the world when you suddenly declare some deeper thought or feeling to someone and, and actually you start to get feedback what the people value that, they appreciate that. And actually you start to notice that they're being more open with you because they've been inspired by your openness. Uh, and so I think openness is something we can we can we can practice we can practice i mean uh, patrick lencioni has this great phrase which was his, his book you know getting naked he said you know we we have to get naked with people um now clearly um you know we, we'd rather get naked with some people before others in terms of you know showing that vulnerability but let's practice it um and let's start with small steps and let's trust that um the more we practice that the more we get feedback the more we see the impact the more confidence we will get uh, and you can come a long way, I think, quite quickly if you really focus on on practicing openness. Okay, fair enough. All right, I want to turn, if it's okay with you, unless you have a different preference here, to talk about benevolence. Because I think this is yeah. the one that is the most unusual. And you say it's evangelize, be brave, be kind. Explain yeah. those three to us. Yeah. Now, evangelize. Evangelize is a, you know, a, a quite a provocative word. You know, a lot of uh, listeners might associate that as a religious word. But actually, evangelize, uh, if you look at the definition, it, it, it means spreading the good news. Um, and so what I mean by evangelize is, um, you know, are we getting on the front foot uh, as business leaders to spread the good news about what we and our businesses are doing? Because the, 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 the fact is that we're operating now in a social media driven world, which which spreads the bad news uh, very quickly. Um, so if we want to counter the negativity and cynicism that is out there, um, then we have to get on the front foot and we have to spread the good news. And that's called evangelizing. Um, Guy Kawasaki is an author uh, who who focuses on this, uh, this topic of uh, evangelizing. And one of his quotes is, uh, in the social age, evangelism is everyone's job. Uh, and I agree with that. I think we are in this social age. We have to sort of wake up to the 
the reality of that and realize that one of our responsibilities as leaders is is to evangelize so so that's that's evangelism as a habit um bravery um now by bravery i don't mean physical bravery or personal bravery i don't mean this heroic view of bravery charging into battle at the at the front of the of the cavalry um what i mean by bravery i'm really referring to moral bravery um, and moral bravery is this ability to put other people's interests ahead of your own. So actually, at its extreme, it involves self-sacrifice. You know, are you willing to sacrifice your own interests for the wider good? And, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes about this habit is from Ernst Hemingway, who said, uh, few men are willing to, be br to brave the disapproval of their fellows. Moral courage is a rarer commodity than bravery in battle or great intelligence. So I think this moral courage um, is rare, uh, but I think the leaders that, that have it and that, and that want to build it, uh, they will find that uh, uh, that's what will create that feeling of uh, that you care about us, that you are willing to uh, put our interests above yours. And that's what benevolence is about. Um, and finally, kindness. Uh, I think we, t we talked about kindness, you know, that kindness is a word that um, is almost almost a blasphemous word in business. You know, I mean, if I'd have used the word kind in a boardroom 15 years ago, I'd have probably been sort of, you know, struck off, struck off the register or whatever they would do with me. Um, but, you know, I, you're starting to see organizations focus on um, emotional intelligence, on empathy, on care. And those words are just one step away from this, this heretical word of, of, of kindness. But I think kindness is common. Uh, and I think, um, you know, kindness uh, is a powerful lever for leaders to use in a world where people are not respecting you for your authority or for your expertise. They really want to know if you care. And uh, the way you show that uh, can be through these, these very um, uh, small but, but noticeable acts of, of kindness and uh, uh, you know it was Anne Herbert who coined this phrase um, practice random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty and uh, I love that because it is random it is senseless but the heart the heart doesn't care about the logic of it the heart just feels it but we and we need to feel this from our leaders because that's what will uh, will generate the trust. All right. So give me some examples of things that you have seen leaders do that show kindness, just to make this kind of tactical. Yeah, well, I, I had a, um, a client of mine who, who actually read my book on the, on the train on the way from London to Manchester. And he got to the point in the book about kindness and he, he read about the habit of kindness. He got off the train in Manchester. He was going to the office, one of his offices of his business. And on the way to the office, um, you know, he bought a box of donuts um, and walked into the office with these donuts. And um, he was not someone who bought donuts. He was not someone who you would expect to come into the office with with gifts of that type. Um, but he did that. And he said to me afterwards that that was his random act of kindness for the day. And that he he said he, he said he was actually quite nervous as he walked into the office because he was doing something a little bit different and he wasn't sure quite how it would be received. Um, but clearly, you know, we all love donuts and therefore, um, you know, he, he got a lot of um, connection from people and a lot of feedback um, from them and it allowed him to, to connect with them in a, in a different way. So, 
you know, this is how simple it is on one level. It's just about donuts, you know, or whatever the equivalent is, you know, uh, you know, writing a, an email at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, just thanking someone uh, in your team for doing that extra bit of uh, work during the week and, you know, just taking the time, you know, we just, we just want to know that you took the time to think about us for one moment um, at a human level. Um, so it's it's sort of the theory of, of kindness is is so so simple, but we have to break habits of a lifetime as leaders to to maybe cross that threshold and um, show up as as kind people. Yeah, I think um, there are two words used. One word used at the beginning, and then another concept. One is cynicism. So it's way too easy to get cynical about why somebody does something like bring donuts to the office. Yeah. What are you looking yeah. for from me? Yeah. And in parallel, um, I'm going to give you an example that I heard recently. So I want to host a dinner for a group in another part of the organization that has been really helpful to us throughout the year. So we're going to host this dinner to say thank you. It's not a small act, but it's a nice act. You know, it's kind of mm. it's a good yeah. thing. But then budget cuts come. And through budget cuts, it turns out that we're going to still have the dinner, but everybody's going to have to pay for their own dinner. So what might have been a lovely thing now turns quite cynical and mm. people go, what's the point of this and why you're doing it? So in a cynical world, I think it's it's easy for people to read in some of these acts as not meaning what you meant them to mean. So what's your advice? Well, this comes back a little bit to um, what we talked about at the beginning, that, that trust Trust is a dance, you know, between two people um, and, and both parties bring something to that dance. So, um, you know, I can't force you to trust me um, and, and each of us have a different willingness to trust. So you know, some of us are more cynical than than others. And, and, and you know, that's that's going to be that's going to happen. You're going to find you're going to have cynical people in in the team um, and, and you might not be able to change that. But. You know, the bit of the dance of trust that you can do something about is your trustworthiness. Uh, and when you bring those donuts, um, you know, and, and, and you're acting from, you know, an authentic motivation of being kind, and there is no ulterior motive in, in your mind, there will be people who interpret it differently. Um, now, you're either going to um, uh, sort of uh, uh, collude with that cynicism by, by saying, okay, um, because there's one cynic out there uh, in a team of ten, then I won't, I won't do, I won't do anything kind because it'll just that person's just always going to misinterpret it, and I'm, all, I'm never going to convince that person that I'm, that I'm a trustworthy leader. Um, you're either going to sort of bow down to that and sort of let that rule the roost, or you're going to challenge it, uh, and you're going to give people you, an opportunity to assess things for themselves. Um, you do it, you do it week after week after week, gradually. Um, you know, you, you, you win over some people, some people you never win over. Um, but hey, you know, <laughs> who do you, you know, you, you're not, you're not going to sort of, um, wave some magic wand and, um, and create this, you know, sort of uniform sea of trust overnight. But if you can at least look back and say, you focused on your trustworthiness, you've done your bit, then I think, uh, you know, that, that's, that's as much as you can do. Uh, lovely. It strikes me that the three um, evangelize, 
be brave and the kindness kind of work in synergy because there is a moral bravery that I'm going to take an act of kindness, even though that hasn't been done before. And if I'm doing that in combination with spreading really good news and trying to counteract the cynicism in some ways by looking at the upsides, at the positives, at what's going well, those three sound to me like they work in synergy to be more effective than any one of them working separately. Yeah. I, I, I to be honest, I hadn't, I hadn't, really connected that before in the way that you've just said but i think that's i think that's right i think uh, as you as you as you said that i think um the the three do come as a package um and um you know they all involve risk you know they, they, they do involve risk and you know you you could be criticized for this you could be ridiculed for it um which again i think is where the courage comes in um but if you've got that passion you know and and you and you really feel that um, you know you have that that passion to to, to stand up and, and try and um, make a difference in this way, then that will carry you through, and, uh, and that will get you through the sort of the difficult uh, knockbacks that inevitably you will you will receive. Okay, fair enough. We're going to take a break again. With me today is John Blakey. John is one of the world's top thought leaders in organizational trust. The book that he's written on this is called The Trusted Executive. And as you can tell, it's from a lot of research. And as John just said, a number of interviews with CEOs and managing directors. So there are three pillars to trust. Integrity, which is emphasized by three habits. Be honest, be open, be humble. There's ability to lead, which is um, practiced through be consistent, be deliverer and coach. And then there's benevolence, which is the third pillar, which is around evangelize, be brave, and be kind. So when we take a break, we're going to come back, and then I want to talk with John about trust, the culture, various world events, how we got here, and his view on some of those events from a trust perspective. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., Helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. 
To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is John Blakey, and we have been talking about trust. What is it that you as an individual leader can do on a daily basis that creates an enclave of trust around you, even if there is high levels of cynicism and skepticism and distrust in larger parts of the organization? We've been talking about the three pillars, ability, integrity, and benevolence. And the habits that support each of those in order to make you, on a daily basis, doing a better job of all three of the pillars. Now, John, as an expert in trust, I can't, in the current climate of what's been going on in the world at large, I can't help but ask your view around, let's start with the U.S. presidential election. Everyone is talking about that and trust. So we come into this election in a climate where most people say they trust a used car salesman more than they trust their government. Mm. From a trust expert, what do you make of what's gone on? Yeah, it's it's been fascinating. You know, if I look at it from a perspective of trust, uh, it has been fascinating. I know people will have strong feelings about this in terms of what's going on. Um, you know, but as an expert in, in trust, you know, I, I, I'm intrigued by um, what, what has played out. I think... You know, I think there is a trust uh, vacuum. Um, you know, I think this this lack of trust of the establishment, this lack of trust of them, whoever they are, uh, has created a vacuum. And and nature hates a vacuum. So the vacuum will be filled. Um, and uh, you could probably say that it's been filled. Uh, there's an opportunity to, for, in, in the short term, for for quite maverick leaders to fill that vacuum. Because uh, you know it's it's really about who do we uh, we, we want to send a like a like a protest vote you know we we want to we want to send a message that we don't trust them anymore, uh, and so we will we will vote for certain leaders because um, because we want to send that message, um, and it looks like the message has been sent. Um, the question now is, are we going to hear the message? Uh, uh, is mainstream uh, is the mainstream of lead- leadership now going to realize that this is not just a temporary fad? Um, you know that this is something that we have to get serious about. We have to work hard about it, um, and we have to build uh, a new platform of of trust. and uh, And I think new leaders will emerge um, from the current situation, who will be. Uh, bring in a a different uh, agenda, a new agenda. But I think in the short term, it's all about sending a message. It's all about um, disruption and um, shaking up, um, you know, what we don't like and what we don't want anymore. It's a negative thing. But I think out of the ashes of that, um, you know, I'm an optimist. I think that out of the ashes of that will will come a, a new breed of leader that will focus on these three pillars uh, and these nine habits uh, and will present a new agenda um, whether that be in your your country or my country or or wherever, um, but you know we 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 need those leaders. I think uh, to appear um, sooner rather than later. I certainly hope that you're right about that, and I have been turning to that sense of optimism and hoping that this does breed a different approach. 
to government. But now there's an odd thing. Um, people walking, you know, there was a huge level of distrust of both candidates in a sense that both candidates hadn't told the truth and, you know, various mm-hmm. arguments that one line of media or another line of media had supported one or supported another or opposed one or opposed another. There's a lot of accusations of distrust on both mm-hmm. sides of the camp. Yeah. Do you think that's think- part of the message? Yeah, and I think if you look at those three pillars that we talked about earlier, ability, integrity, and benevolence, in, in, a, in, a, negative, um, on, in a negative agenda where you're looking to, uh, to find weakness, then, um, then, then, then I think Trump targeted the integrity of Hillary Clinton. Um, so crooked Hillary, lock her up. Um, these were all designed to, to batter that pillar of integrity. And if you can destroy that pillar for someone, then you'll destroy their trustworthiness. Now, Equally, you could have argued that that for Donald Trump, he was weakest on this pillar of ability in terms of his ability to deliver as a politician. Then there's no track record on that. So um, in the negative agenda, you could argue that he did better at, at destroying the trust of Hillary Clinton than Hillary did on destroying his trust. Um, but you can see it's all about destroying trust. You know, it's it's all about who is the least trustworthy um, rather than who is the most trustworthy. So I think that's why this is um, all the hallmarks of the end of something rather than the beginning of something new. Um, But yeah, uh, maybe we have to end something in order to start something new. And maybe maybe we just have to trust that uh, this is part of the cycle. Trust that it's part of the cycle. I love that one. All right. So starting something new. One of the hot topics talk is always talking about millennials. And there is a sense that the values, the expectations, the demands of millennials are really quite different and that they will force us to change. What's your view? Yeah, I I, um, I, I read uh, an article earlier this year in Harvard Business Review, which is an interview with uh, a guy called Bob Moritz, who is the U.S. chair of Price Waterhouse Coopers, and uh, he said uh, this about the the millennials. He said, um, "When I was coming up, uh, we knew what we were doing, but we didn't ask why we did it. Back then, I would have been astonished that PwC's millennials don't only demand to know the organization's purpose, but are also prepared to leave the firm if that purpose doesn't align with their own values." So I think. That sums it up quite neatly, and I can relate to that. You know that when I was coming up in my corporate career, um, you know I knew what what we were doing, but I didn't ask why we did it. You know, so that question of asking why is is a question that that, that millennials ask um, that maybe previous generations didn't, or they ask it more more persistently and more more often, um, and that is different. And um, you know, my sons who are twenty four and twenty, uh, they. Uh, are entering the workforce with with very different expectations of of leadership, very different expectations of what a career means, and with a much broader vision about what they think business should contribute to the world as a whole. So, so yes, I think I, I think it is a, a force of change, um, and uh, you know, as we grow older, we we maybe do temper some of that, but there's no doubt that uh, the this generation is starting in a more strident. Uh, position around some of those uh, those issues. Fabulous. Okay, so John, we've got one minute. You have a poem you want to end with. Love to hear it. Yeah, this is a poem um, by uh, an English poet called D.H. Lawrence, a poet and author. Uh, it's simply called Trust, but I think it captures 
uh, in, in its own poetic way, a lot of the things that we've covered in our conversation uh, this, this evening. So it reads, oh, we've got to trust again. We've got to trust one another again in some essentials, not the narrow little bargaining trust that says I'm for you if you'll be for me, but a bigger trust, a trust of the sun that does not bother about moth and rust. So be, oh, be a son to me, not a weary, insistent personality, but a sun that shines and goes dark, but shines again and entwines with the sunshine in me. We've got to trust again. So be a son to me. Excellent. All right. With us today is John Blakey. Thank you, John. It's been a fabulous interview. The book is The Trusted Executive. And then join us next week again for more conversations. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.